go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. Philadelphia fans were cut from a different cloth. Born into a brotherhood and bonded to our team for life. We believe anything is possible because we've witnessed the impossible. While we may be from different neighborhoods, come Sunday, we are one and we will be heard. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Thursday, NFC East fans, the Eagles fans. Good morning, NFC East. Once again, my name is Jeff Kerr, the host of Good Morning NFC East, with my man Tones of Shields. And Tones got his game face on today, man. And I, I'll tell you what, <laughs> I think you were ready for the spicy uh, uh, stories I have for you in the in the production room this morning. Yeah, man, we were talking behind the scenes, and uh, some uh, some of your topics, uh, man. Some people may find them triggering. I know one of them triggered me a little bit. Uh, the the Bucky Brooks topic, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna hold off on that one. We're gonna hold off on that yeah, one. <laughs> yeah, we'll hold off on that one. You know what? I was gonna bring it up at the top of the show, but you know what? We got. Let's talk about the strengths and weaknesses of each NFC East team. I, I had the the task of doing this for the whole league. Fifteen hours of work, by the way, Tone. Uh, you know, I had off the last two days, but it didn't feel like it because uh, <laughs> you know, I'm watching a bunch of games and I'm trying to catch up on week seven here. You know, Eagles beat Riders. They get to go on the bye week this week. Uh, nah, not not me. I, I covered the league, so there, there there is no bye week. So we're we're a third of the season through, right. and I do you know strengths and weaknesses of each team. Simple, right? So I'll start with the Eagles here. Do you want to take a stab at what the strength of the Eagles was before I reveal it? Strength, offensive line. Weakness, stopping the run. Okay, so the Eagles were tough, by the way, because they have a lot of strength. I did not go offensive line. Really? I Starting cornerback. Starting corner? Yeah, Slay and Brad Bear. Okay. Yeah, so – this is my reasoning for it. And I, okay, look, in, in my opinion, Slay and Bradbury are the best cornerback duo in the league right now, right? Here are some stats for you. They're the only two players in the top five in the league in pass breakups. Bradbury's got nine. That's tied for the league lead. Slay's got seven. That's tied for fifth. Okay. Slay is second in the NFL in opponents' passer rating allowed at 22.4. Bradbury's third. 28.8. Uh, Tariq Woolen on the Seahawks, who, by the way, the Eagles won the draft, is number one. And he's got, like, a ridiculous, like, 17. Wow. So, yeah. And so, the Eagles secondary overall, they're second in opponent's completion percentage at 56.8%. So, opposing quarterbacks are only completing 56.8% of their passes against the Eagles and first in opponent's passer rate at 66.0. So, Opposing quarterbacks are not being the Philadelphia Eagles tone. It's been such a long time since the Eagles had a DB room like that. You know what I mean? And, you know, you have to include those safeties that are, you know, that are stepping their weight up. But, you know, those corners, man, Darius Slay, Avanti Maddox, Bradbury, that trio arguably might be the best trio of corners in the NFL and in their balance. And they, they both – all three of them, you know, are, are very talented in different ways. So it's it's really it's really awesome to see that. And that's the kind of that's the kind of football that's gonna help you in the long run, especially when you go up against these top tier quarterbacks. Oh yeah, and look, Cooper Rush couldn't do anything against them. And right. that seemed like a mismatch. A lot of these games seem like a mismatch. And 
I know some people will probably say, well, what good quarterback did the Eagles play? Well, Kirk Cousins is an okay quarterback, and they shut him down. Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence is red hot going into the Eagles game. I know they played in the pouring down rain, but they shut him down, essentially. Eagles aren't going to face a good quarterback for a while either. Uh, you know, what, what's the next good quarterback they face? Uh, if you want to say Matt Ryan's a good quarterback now, fine, but it might not be all Aaron Rodgers in Week 12. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking Aaron Rodgers Week 12. Um because, you know, if, if you want to try to, I guess, tier it or rank it, Aaron Rodgers is clearly the pinnacle. And then after that, it's like a bunch of dudes, man. It's Matt Ryan, uh, Taylor Heineke. You want to you you put Taylor Heineke in with, like, well, you want to put him in second tier? <laughs> well, no, well, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not, I'm not even, like, calling it tier two. It's just, it's just the tier one is Aaron Rodgers and then, Everyone else is just dudes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just this guys. I mean. Yeah, and then you um, got Dak. Like Dak might Dak, be the best quarterback they face. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, if I had to rank him, it'd be it'd be Rogers, Dak, and then probably everyone else. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean that's just the way the schedule plays out. And the Eagles yeah, have I mean, really it's, it's the reality. It's the reality. But yeah. I'm curious. You know, the the what are the weaknesses that you have for the Eagles now? Okay, so this one was tough, right? Okay. And I, I like your prediction. I did consider it. I went second half offense, and I, I know that it's overblown. Mm-hmm. But they, the Eagles have such big halftime leads, it just doesn't matter. But I, I put up some stats here. The Eagles averaged just 5.83 points in the second half, which is third to last in the league. And they have a scoring deficit of minus 22 in the second half, which is 24th in the NFL. Again, you know, having big leads, it, it doesn't matter. If you look at the first half, they average 21 a game, and they have a plus 78 points margin, which leads the NFL. Only Pretty the dreadful. Titans and Broncos. Yeah. So only the Titans and Broncos score fewer points in the second half than the Eagles do. You know, I think that's something they're going to address over the bye week. You know, I've been I've been talking about it. You know, I talked about it with John McMullen last night on football 24-7. And you know, I think I personally think that's something they're going to address. They're, they're going; to, they have no choice but to look. Look, where you're going, when you're, when you're doing this well, it's probably hard to find things that like to clean up. But trust me, there always is. And the second half scoring, the second half execution needs to be cleaned up. I'm not sure what it is. John McMullen likes to say it's human nature. That's that. That's very very possible. Um, but it could just also be poor execution, and I don't know. Do the coaches lack creativity once they get away from their script? That's, you know, that's a question as well. So, I mean, I, th- I think that's going to be something they really focus on over the bye week, you know, that second half scoring, that second half production. Yeah. And here's the thing, too. How can you have a sense of urgency when you're up by so much? You know, it, yeah. it's like John's right. It's human nature. Like, you're probably like, okay, we're up 20 enough in here. Like, we're up 20 enough in every week. We, yeah, we, we just mind our P's and Q's here and do what we need to do, which is what they've done. They win football games. And we saw on Sunday night, when push comes to shove, mm-hmm. they can score points in the second half. They're just never trailing at that point. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you don't want to you don't want to ever keep a team in the game. You don't want to ever give a team life. And I think that's what the, the real problem is, right? You know, it would be different if – uh, they were able to maintain a two-possession lead throughout the entire second half. But there's been times where it's gotten within one possession. There's been times where it's gotten within three points. You know what I mean? So that's, you know, a, a, a bad play, a, a turnover can swing the entire game in a situation like that. So um, even though the Eagles have shown a, a propensity to have these long, sustained drives where they're able to score and put the game away, one one tip ball, you know, one tip ball at the, you know, at, at the line of scrimmage, that can change everything. So I think it's important for this team to learn how to put teams away early. Like, and when I say put them away, I mean kill them, put the knife in and twist it. You know what I mean? Like that's – you can't play around with some of these teams because once you start to get to these, you know, bigger teams like the Chiefs or the Bills, you know, and, and, and by by that language, you could tell I'm predicting this team is going to go to the Super Bowl. But the, the moment you start getting close to these – those ter- those top – those teams in particular – those are, those are the only two teams that I have any mild concerns about. 
I think the Eagles can beat any team in the NFL. Those are the two teams I feel like will give the Eagles the most trouble. Those teams have been down before. Patrick Mahomes, notoriously has been down by double digits, has always has always managed to come back. That that's something you have to guard against. So I think the second half scoring, and, and look, even if the defense is falling off in the second half, just keep scoring. Keep scoring. I don't I don't care if it's three, seven, just keep scoring. And here's the thing, too, Tone. Um, just by watching these games every week, everybody makes a comeback attempt. Like, the, right. every, every game gets close. Um, you know, it's happened to the Giants. It's happened to Washington. It happens to Philly. It, it, that just happens. Uh, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. Uh, it is the NFL, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's what you can do to prevent it. And the Eagles have done that in every game because they're 6-0. Uh, so, strengths and weaknesses for the Cowboys. Obviously, pass rush. I don't, I don't have to go deep into that. I mean, Dallas is the highest pressure rate in the league. They're the only team in the league with 100 pressures. Their weakness, and again, a lot of this has to do with Dak Prescott not being here, but pass offense. They're 27th in the league in pass yards per game, and they're 27th in the league in passing touchdowns. They have not thrown for over 230 yards in any game this season. So, which brings me – the honest question here, how much better does this get when Dak Prescott comes back? I'm so glad you asked that question because when Dak went down, he wasn't – it's not like he was hot or red hot, you know what I mean? It wasn't like he was, you know, slinging it all over, all over the yard. Um, and that's not to say he wouldn't be able to clean up those mistakes in week two, week three, and so on and so forth. I'm pretty sure by now he probably would have been a much more clean – cut quarterback in terms of, you know, delivering the ball and execution, things like that. It was week one, you know, was, you, you can never really expect you. You don't know what they expect in week one. So I mean, you can maybe just call it a bad day for him at the office and he just cleans it up in week two, but he got hurt and there's no way for us to really know what he would have done in week two, week three, week four, and so on and so forth. So we had to base it on what we saw in week one and he didn't look good. He didn't look comfortable. He didn't, he did he didn't look like himself. And I'm not sure what it is. Is there a disconnect between him and the OC? Um, because all of a sudden, when where when uh, what's that guy's name? Not Cooper Rush. When, when he got there, all of a sudden the offense seemed to have a sort of functionality. So I'm, I mean, people assume he comes back automatically. Like the Cowboys are just going to have it all together, and you can't just assume that because what if you know Kellen, you know Kellen Moore, he decides to change how he's calling these games. You know, what if they decide to change how they're playing defense based based off of Dak's presence back? You know, look, man. We all know the, the the backup quarterback effect. You know, when those guys come in, teams teams and players tend to play about 1%, 2%, maybe 3% harder. You know what I mean? So, you know, we'll see how it turns out. You know, again, we can't just safely assume that when he comes back, everything's just going to be fixed because I think he's going to be nursing that injury all year long. I'll tell you what, you I, – I had a conversation with a buddy of mine yesterday, and we were talking yeah. about the exact topic. He brought out the exact points you did. It, it, it's funny. So – he goes, look, I love Dak coming back for them, but are they going to throw the football 40 times a game because he's back because he's getting paid $40 million a year? That's a scary issue here, and it's an issue the Eagles don't have to worry about right now because mm-hmm. they got a quarterback on a rookie contract. I think the commanders worry about that too with Carson Wentz. It's like, oh, we're paying Carson Wentz. But the Eagles and Giants, they don't have to worry about that issue. They're not paying their quarterbacks right now, and – I don't know if the Giants will ever pay theirs. Uh, Jalen Hurts is going to get a nice fat paycheck coming soon. But right now, they it's not an issue. And I don't like teams that basically – and they all do this. It ain't just Dallas. That because their quarterbacks make an ungodly amount of money, they got to throw the ball 40 times a game. I don't think quarterbacks really want that. I think they want to just win football games. Yeah, I don't believe in – just because my paycheck says this, we have to play this way. Those are two different conversations we're having. You know what I mean? You, you pay me that because I know how to play the position. I'm reliable at the position. I'm I, I, I know how to lead this team. I've shown you, I've shown you um consistent success. So just because you pay me this, that doesn't mean my numbers have to look like this. You're paying me to win games, not to win scoring titles or you're not paying me to win offensive player of the year. No, you're paying me because I know how to win games with this team, with my skill set. And if a guy is showing you that he can't win games with his skill set, I don't care what he's getting paid. 
you gotta you do either you guys need to have a conversation or part ways or whatever needs to happen. But I don't think I don't think you should equate automatically just because you're paying me forty million dollars a year. I had to average forty pads and touchdowns a season. You know what I mean? I don't think that I don't think that that, that should work that way because there's there's quarterbacks have styles. You know, some quarterbacks are a little bit more athletic and they run a little bit. You're paying for production at the end of the day. You're not paying for a certain. You're not paying for particular production. You're paying for production. If I'm productive at the job, if I'm winning, that's what you're paying me for. Yeah, the Cowboys paid Dak Prescott because he was winning. He exactly. won. A, he won games for them. He won the NFC East for them. They're a Super Bowl contender with Dak Prescott. That's why they paid Dak Prescott. It wasn't right. because Dak Prescott's putting up ungodly amount of numbers. That just helps. Um, but since we're on the topic of the Cowboys here, and we kind of tease this at the top of the show, mm-hmm. Bucky Brooks writes a column for the Cowboys every week. Bucky Brooks from the NFL Network. I'm sure you guys know who he is. Mm-hmm. And he talked a lot about Eagles game on Sunday. Rightfully so. You know, tough loss for Dallas. And he wrote how he thought the Dallas's defense can carry them to a Super Bowl. And he mentioned how they stopped the Eagles' offense. And I'm thinking to myself, did they though? Did they really? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't see that. That's from my vantage point. Someone who was there when, again, when push came to shove, I thought the Eagles had their way against that team. See what he's leaving out because I'm trying to figure out what he's basing that off of. And we also have our guy John Stonis in the green room, so we're going to bring him bring him up very soon. We have a couple more minutes before we hit our next break, but you know, really quickly, I'm not sure what he's basing his calculations or his or his evaluation off of but let's really put it into perspective okay the philadelphia eagles forced the dallas cowboys to turn the ball over three times three interceptions thrown by cooper rush if he's basing it off of the total yards that we put up because we've been putting up 400 plus yards regularly and then last game and against the arizona Cardinals, we put up about 350 360 yards something like that and then this week we put up 268 total yards. If he's basing it off of that, the reason the yardage was so low, the Eagles were dealing with a short field regularly because of the turnovers. So therefore, these guys are starting, you know, starting their offensive drives at the 50, at the 45, sometimes, maybe the, maybe the 35, whatever it may be. They were dealing with a short field regularly in that game because we were getting three and outs, so on and so forth. So I don't know. Again, I don't know if he's basing it off of that. They still put up 136 rushing yards. Again, we we beat them in time of possession. Um, we had significantly less penalties, no turnovers. Uh, we were six for 14 on third down efficiency. One, you know, 100 percent on fourth down efficiency. Uh, we went up about 20 points, 20 points to zero, I believe, at one point. What what did they shut down? The only thing he had, he can probably hang his hat on, if you ask me. When Lane Johnson went down, all of a sudden we got discombobulated. That's it. That was the that was this. It was you know you can you can track it. That's the exact moment things went down. Other yeah, than that, still, yeah, Eagles are the fourth highest scoring offense in football. Like Dallas's defense didn't give up twenty points per game all year, and Eagles gave up. I mean, Eagles scored twenty six. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, Dallas is a good defense. Don't get me wrong. Very good. And, very good. Yeah, and yeah, they they kind of shut down the, uh, a little bit in the third quarter, but like you said, they were still adjusting because Lane Johnson was out and Jack Driscoll was in. But Eagles still got twenty six points off them, and the Eagles show they showed you on Sunday night if you score twenty plus off this team, it's it's going to win most games. Now Dallas's offense should be better with Dak in it, but it's not like Dallas's offense is a world class juggernaut either. They're still trying to figure out if CeeDee Lamb is the guy, which I don't think he is. You know, I've, I've had so many debates with Cowboys fans over the offseason. CeeDee Lamb is better than A.J. Brown. I'm like, okay, we're going to find out. And I, I don't see it. CeeDee Lamb, is, he's not a game changer. He, he, he's not a game. He's, he's not even better than Terry McLaurin, if you ask me. You know, he's not a game changer to me. He's just not. He's not physically imposing. He's just he's just he, he's a perfect number two. You know, I told people we're going to find out how good he is when Amari Cooper leaves. And he still hasn't shown us that. But, you know, I can start rambling. Jeff, you know, I love these topics, man. You've been doing a great job with it thus far. We got our guy John Stone is behind the scenes. And I love when John Stone is, you know, comes on the network because he has such a rationale that 
he, he he's he's so rational when he breaks down the game. And I love the way he's I love the way he breaks down his Eagles, I love the way he breaks down the Phillies. Unfortunately, bad things to talk about with the Phillies. <laughs> but nonetheless, John Stonis does he he does great work with Bleeding Green Nation. And I'm looking forward to the conversation. Any final thoughts, Jeff, before we get out of here? Uh, no, I didn't realize John was on Bird Street 6-5 yesterday, but that's okay. We're going to expand his horizons a bit. We're not just going to talk Philadelphia Eagles here for John, but that's all right. I love when John comes on the show, too. We're always talking NFC East Super Bowl. Uh, so, you know what, Tony? I'll let you lean into the break here. All right. Next up, you guys, we have our guy with the ultimate perspective. John Stone is coming after the break. You guys are locked in with Good Morning NFC East. He's Jeff Kerr. I'm Tony Shows the second. Keep it locked, you guys. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go birds! <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go birds! And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Welcome to Pond Lee Hockey. We've helped over 100,000 injured and disabled workers obtain benefits, as well as some of the biggest settlements in the state. If you've been injured at work, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Score and save at Southeastern PA in Delaware with Colony Pools this football season. And let the experts close your pool with a custom Merlin safety cover in green for the birds. And if you join our winter watch team, we'll give you another 20% off and Colony Pools will handle it all. Keep your tiles on your pool, not in your pool. Fly with Colony right now, birds fans. Visit flywithcolony.com. Jeff D'Ambrosio, Destination Downingtown's five-day used car super sale. Jeff puts an end to high prices now. Five days of the best car, truck, and SUV deals ever. Over 1,000 vehicles, every make and model. Stop overpaying. See Jeff today and get a quality car, truck, or SUV now. The five-day used car super sale. Experience how easy it is to deal at Jeff's. Nobody treats you better. Nobody gives you more. Jeff D'Ambrosio, Destination Downingtown. GoJeffAuto.com. There's my man, John Stolens from Bleeding Green Nation. I, I know John's probably on the roller coaster of emotions after that Phillies game yesterday. Uh, I, you know what, John? I, I did not feel good about that game at all. Yeah, I mean, uh, game twos have not been their friend uh, over the course of uh, postseasons past. You know, they win that game one, they get off to a good start, and then uh, they usually struggle in game two. Uh, and so, yeah, it was... Uh, you had to feel good with Aranola. I, I felt good with Aranola on the mound, but uh, he just uh, he did not have it. He had one of those games uh, on uh, in game two. So, you know, what are you going to do? You leave San Diego tied one one, and it's going to be nuts at the bank this weekend. So it'll be. I, I feel like they're going to be okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll be there Friday. So um, my my voice is probably going to be out from being at the Sixers home opener tonight, and then being at the Phillies game tomorrow. Yeah, you know, this this is the beauty of. I actually yeah. get to use my season tickets. <laughs> yeah, October, October is the time, and you could probably hear my voice is a little is a little uh, 
worse for wear this morning. So I'm going to try and I'll try and hold it together here with you while we're talking. So one of the topics I brought up uh, with Tone, I'm sure you heard uh, when you were backstage, this whole Bucky Brooks comment that the Cowboys defense shut down the Eagles offense on Sunday night. I didn't feel that way personally. I, I know the stats might say that, but Eagles still scored 26 points off that. Yeah, they scored 26 points. You can't say that you shut down another team's offense if they scored 26 points. You can't say you shut down another team's offense if they were up 20 to nothing uh, right before half. You, you just you could say that they did some things to slow them down in the second half to allow the Cowboys to get back into the game. Uh, you can say that the the Cowboys defense took advantage of Lane Johnson being out and uh, they took advantage of maybe Jordan Mailata, not at a hundred percent of Jason Kelsey, not at a hundred percent. You could say those things, those things would be intellectually honest, but to say that, to say that the Eagles offense was shut down is just, it's not true. It's not close. You can look at the numbers. I mean, the Eagles did not pile up 450 yards of offense, but when they needed scoring drives, they, they scored on four possessions in the first half. And then when they absolutely needed to score, the Cowboys defense could not stop them. They could not stop them from going on a long scoring drive as the Cowboys pulled to within three and the Eagles go down and they, I forget how long that drive was It's seven minutes, seven, eight minute drive where, you know, they're just running the ball down their throats the entire time. And then they, and then they get those two passes at the end of the drive to score the touchdown. That's not shutting down an offense. you, you may have held, slowed them down a tiny bit for a period, but that's it. I'm a big Micah Parsons fan. I, I, I've gone along with Micah Parsons for a lot of years. Of, you know, Penn State guy. Micah's a good guy. And social media, it can be his best friend and his worst enemy. And I, I thought this week it didn't help him. And I, I know uh, Dan Cilio, who hosts the National Football Show, decided to trigger him a little bit. I, you know, he kind of added him in something about his dominance and Parsons did not take the high road. And I, I go into the gist of the tweets, but it feels like Micah Parsons didn't actually think he was neutralized on Sunday, which, which he was. And I, I don't know. I think that's part of the maturity level. He needs to I, not saying he's not mature, but I feel like that that's just something where, uh, okay, you just let you kind of let sports commentators, radio show hosts, all that. You just kind of let them do your, do their thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think the more more of these things you do, the more time you have as a professional athlete. Some of these guys, they come in and they just know how to do it, right? Like Jalen Hurts knows how to do it. He doesn't. If somebody were to say something like that to him, it would roll off his back. I think it's the same with with Dak. Most of the time, Dak has put his foot in his mouth in recent seasons at the end of the year. But uh, with Micah, you know, I think he was neutralized for most of that game. He did come on in the third quarter again, when uh, Jack Driscoll was in there. And I know there is more to the story than just, you know, Jack Driscoll against Micah Parsons, Micah Parsons wins. You know what I mean? Like they bring more pressure from the other side. It forces the offensive line to have to shift their coverage to shift their blocking schemes and all this kind of stuff. It's not really just a, a one versus one matchup anymore, but uh, they, they forced Micah Parsons to have to make choices. They decided, you know what, let's not waste our time trying to block this guy. Let's, let's put him in conflict. Let's, let's have him make a decision. Are you going to pursue the running back on this RPO? Or are you going to pursue Jalen hurts? Or are you going to, you know, cover the tight end leaking out to the flat? Those were your options. And you know, you've got a one in three shot of getting it right. And there were a few times he got it right. And there were many, many times where he didn't get it right. And so that was the Eagles way of neutralizing him. And I was pretty darn effective. What do you make of this Cowboys team through six games? I still think they're really good, but yeah. they're really hard to get a read on because the NFL is just completely mediocre. Well, they haven't had their quarterback. I mean, you got to see how they are with their quarterback. I know they didn't play well in week one when, when Dak was in there, but you know, a lot of teams didn't play well in week one. You can't use the first week of the NFL season to determine whether or not you're going to be any good that year. It's it's a weird week. Nobody nobody plays preseason games anymore. Nobody has real training camps anymore. And so that first week, a lot of times, is really what you would have seen in the first preseason game as far as guys with tackling and uh, guys being crisp offensively, running, running plays smoothly. Um, so I think with Dak Prescott in there, I think there's the chance they win that game on Sunday night if, if it's not Cooper Rush. I don't think Dak throws three interceptions in that game. Maybe he does. I don't know. But uh, I think you have to look at the Dallas Cowboys with Dak Prescott under center as a really good team and maybe the second best team in the conference right now because of that defense. That defense is very good. 
it's just the Eagles found a way to score enough points, 26 points off them to have a, a relatively comfortable victory. It got tight there in the third, in the fourth quarter, you know, everybody's, everybody clenched up a little bit, but uh, you know, eventually the Eagles kind of imposed their will on that defense. And as an Eagles fan, you have to feel good because I think you clearly saw that you can score on this Dallas defense. It's not so good that you can't do anything against them, but that is a better team with Dak in there. And when Dak is back and it sounds like it's going to be this week or it could be this week, We'll see how that offense functions. I, I know people thought Cooper Rush did a decent job. He did exactly what a backup quarterback is supposed to do. He won four out of five games when the starter was out. That's all you can ask of him, but he's not a starting quarterback. He's not a guy who's going to make plays through the air, and that's what Dak can do. Yeah, they were 27th in the league in passing for a reason. I actually mentioned that uh, my strengths and weaknesses column for CBS Sports. That is their weakness. And again, Dak Prescott is out. I, I wanted to bring this up to you, too. This kind of upset me personally as a guy who admires the heck out Jason Peters. I, I love what Jason Peters did for the Philadelphia Eagles for a lot of years, and he is 40 years old now. He's not the same player. But I just happened to catch a lot of Dallas writers writing this. This isn't the Jason Peters we thought we were getting because Jason Peters doesn't really play. He's kind of a backup, um, you know, to, to put it nicely. And what did Dallas think they were getting with this guy? Like, this guy wasn't going to come in and start for them. Like, they're just lucky he's a 40 year old that could still play at a high level. Yeah, if Dallas thought that they were getting a starting left tackle uh, when they signed Jason Peters, they haven't been paying attention to the last couple of seasons. Uh, he's been in decline, which is understandable given the fact he's 40 years old for crying out loud. So, no, they he, he's played pretty well in his uh, in, in the snaps that he had been getting at left guard. I think, you know, you're right, like a rotational backup guy, guy you don't want playing any more than like, you know, 15 or 20 snaps a game. He's a guy, if you need him at left guard for a couple of weeks, you you, you hope that he can get the job done. And he largely did that with Dallas, you know, and up until this game where he didn't play very much. I know he was dealing with an injury. And that's the other thing with Jason Peters is you're going to get injuries with him because he's 40. So, yeah, I, I don't. If Dallas, if there was any Cowboys fan or any Dallas media member who was looking at Jason Peters as the quote unquote answer to something, then they were going to be let down. They were going to talk themselves into something that they could not speak into existence. Yeah, his tenure with the Cowboys is starting to feel like Harold Carmichael's. Um, you, you kind of forget <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, Terrell Owens, same way. Uh, well, Dio at least was productive with him. But yeah, right. yeah, these couple seasons. You're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, same story there. Uh, did you hear? Well, you probably did because you're, you're down in that area. You heard about the Commanders 50 50 thing, right? No, I don't think I did. Oh, okay. So, you know how the teams do 50 50s, like like at the stadium, like the 50 50 raffles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those games. So, the Commanders had one for week one. The winner had his check bounced. Oh, my gosh. Can you find. I have not heard that. It's amazing, right? Right, John? Like every time. You think this organization might be figuring things out? They find some way to embarrass themselves even more. I, I want to warn Eagles fans that uh, it sounds like maybe for the first time there are some cracks in the armor among the owners that Daniel Snyder may not be safe. I think it certainly sounds like that there. Jim Ursay said something this week about it, where that there might be reason there. There's cause to at least talk about removing Daniel Snyder. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, he's gone. We're getting rid of him. We're, we're working on this, but um, I don't think he's long as the owner of that organization. It, especially when you hear that he's trying to get dirt on other owners to hold them hostage or to, um, you know, to, to blackmail them into continuing to vote, to keep him on as the owner of the commanders. Once Daniel Snyder is out of there and they get somebody and they get an owner who isn't, one of the worst people in the world. Um, I think, you know, you might see a turnaround in Washington because, you know, it's got the fan base in Washington is a good fan base. It's a fan base. That's just waiting for something. You know, they're just, you know, I'm in Northern Virginia. They're, they're waiting for this team for something they can root for. And it's, you know, they, once again, this year, you know, they hitch their wagons to Carson Wentz. That's going South. It's, it looks like another lost season in Washington. And, you know, fans here are just frustrated. They're, they're fed up and they're so it's, it's so quick to turn negative because they really haven't known anything else for 
25 years. It's, it's, it's disheartening if you're a Commanders fan to know going into every season, you are not likely to be among the top teams in the NFL, and it all comes back to the owner. It's really upsetting, too, because growing up, they were like the proud franchise. Like, you oh, yeah. Go in the, you go Marquee. into RFK Stadium. You were intimidated. It was yeah. RFK. Even the early <laughs> years of FedEx Field, you, you were intimidated because they were at least a decent football team. Now it's <laughs> – yeah, I love – I don't like to get on the Eagles fans too much, but I will get on on this. We take over FedEx Field. Dude, everything's over FedEx Field. Like, yeah, no, yeah. Don't, don't go there. No one cares about that franchise. No, and it's um, it, it's a it's it's really hard to get there. So fans, you got to really believe in the team if you're going to make that trek out to, to to FedEx Field out in Landover because it is it is difficult to get in and out of there. It is it is a time consuming. It's your whole day. It's like you're flying. You know, you're basically like three hours at the airport. You know, that's kind of what it's like to go to RFK. Three hours in, three hours out, and then three hours at the game. So, um. You know, I, I, it's, it's a, it is a proud, a proud franchise. This was, you know, the Gary Clark, Art Monk, Ricky Sanders days, you know, uh, that ran those, those Randall Cunningham days where he went into RFK and they were down like 20 to nothing in the first quarter. And he came back in that 42, 37 game. That, that game is indelibly linked in my head as, as maybe my all time favorite, um, game from, from when I was a kid. And they just, they, they did, they played so many amazing games, um, in those late eighties, early nineties, those, those Washington teams, they went to so many super bowls with Joe Gibbs as the head coach. They were one of the marquee franchises in the NFL. Like if you would ask people, give me your top five teams in the NFL for about a 15, 20 year stretch, Washington would have been among the five. You know, you probably have the Raiders. You probably, you certainly have the Cowboys, uh, and, and Washington would have been there you know, with all those different teams. And so it is a shame. It's sad. And the NFC East is better. It's a more fun division when Washington has a good football team. Yeah. So this is to me how dangerous RFK was. I started really getting into watching football, remembering football around 95, 96. And the see, 96 season opener, Randall Cunningham, I mean, not Randall, uh, Rodney Pete and the Eagles go in. The, they're coming off playoff appearance. Washington's Pretty good football team. They got Terry Allen. They got guys like that. And the Eagles go in there and Diggs just blitzkrieg them in the first half. And you got Summerall and Madden, you know, hyping up the scene. Okay, like this Washington team's going to compete for the division title. This Eagles team, we we think they're good, but we're not sure. And yeah, Washington made a second impact, but you could be the atmosphere the entire game. It was like basically like how the Phillies game was last Friday night at Citizens Bank Park. It was just constantly loud. I don't hear that anymore out of Washington and yeah when you think of the commanders you're thinking of <laughs> oh that's the team that put the the W logo on Washington State mugs because they're just that inept of a franchise you know they had a moment when RG3 in his rookie season was playing really well and got them to the playoffs that was that stadium was pretty well rocking when he was there and it's unfortunate you know, and this, you know, some of when you have a bad franchise, some of it is bad luck. And RG3's injury torpedoed what could have been a very good career, a very long career and a, a you know, a 10 year stretch where they were very good and it just didn't work out. But that was the last time I remember FedEx Field, Washington fans being on fire for this team, because even when they won the division a couple of seasons ago, it was a with a losing record and Taylor Heineke is your quarterback and, you know, he's not the future. So, you know, they they even had they they are this fan base is long overdue for something good to happen. And Daniel Snyder getting kicked out would, would be the best case scenario for everybody because then you can move on and you can start to build something. You just can't build anything with Daniel Snyder around. No, you can't. And so I, I guess my next question would be here. Yeah, now I got Daniel Snyder on the board. Is it Carson Wentz or is it the offensive line? I guess we're going to find out over the next six games. And I think the answer can be that it's both. Uh, I think if you're looking to blame one thing more than the other, it's probably the offensive line, simply because if you give Carson time, he he can beat you. But he hasn't had any time. And if you get Carson off his spot, if you make him move, if you give him less than the requisite time that he needs to try and play hero ball, he's gonna he's going to implode. And I think he doesn't have the playmakers around him either. We looked, we came into the season thinking, oh, they've got some more playmakers. You know, they get Terry McLaurin and, you know, Curtis Samuel's coming back. He looks like he's going to be healthy. Antonio Gibson looks like a good player. You know, they've got all these different guys, but we put up, it just didn't, it just hasn't worked. They, they, frankly, they need a new head coach. They need, they just, they need, they need a new everything. 
Uh, I like Ron Rivera, but he's old. He's too. He's just old school. You look at that offense. There is nothing inventive about it. There's nothing new. There's nothing that makes you say, oh, yeah, Washington's really got their finger on the pulse of something here. It's so vanilla. It's so bland. It's it, and, and with Carson back there trying to, you know, trying to play hero ball, his physical skills have diminished. He's he's not the physical, the, you know, the, the player that he once was. And it's just it's all falling apart. And so I think the offensive line is certainly the bigger issue in Washington than the quarterback. But, you know, they're going to have a new quarterback for the next four to six weeks anyway. So I guess you're right. We'll find out. This is what's interesting to me. Let's go to the crystal ball. Thanksgiving. Carson Wentz a starting quarterback? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Tyler Heineke will, because he can make some more plays with his legs, I think the offense will cosmetically look more alive. I think it'll look more energetic. I think when you come down to it, I think you'll see fewer turnovers from Taylor Heineke, actually. I don't think you're going to see some of the Carson Wentz interceptions that we see. So I think it's going to feel like the offense is better running more efficiently. As far as points go, I don't know that it's going to be a whole lot more efficient, but it certainly doesn't sound like there's any love from Ron Rivera to Carson Wentz. I don't, I if, and reading reports this week that it was actually Daniel Snyder who wanted Carson Wentz and not the coaching staff leads me to think that Carson Wentz's time as the starting quarter, quarterback in Washington is pretty much over. And that would essentially mean that his time as a starting quarterback in this league is over. I think we left to look at Carson Wentz moving forward as he's now going to be a career backup quarterback. And he has to, he has to get his mind right with that because I can't imagine another team taking him on and saying, yes, he's our starter. So Carson Wentz, after he gets back from this injury, I, I don't think he's going to be the starter. I think Taylor Heineke will hold on to the job. And if he doesn't and Carson does come back, it, this, this is his last season as a starting quarterback. He's nobody's going to let him do this again. I thought it was interesting how Colts fans are comparing the Matt Ryan experience to the Carson Wentz experience. But if you take away, and again, guys on pace for a record number of fumbles here, and he doesn't have as many picks as Carson did last year. But I thought Carson played with a much better offensive line than what Matt Ryan's playing with in Indianapolis. It's, it seems like they're finally, Frank Reich finally made changes to make the offensive line better, but I don't think Matt Ryan is playing this bad in Indianapolis as many are thinking he does. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And I'm going to say something that, that may be kind of off the beaten path here a little bit. I don't think I've heard this from many people. Frank Reich might not be a very good head coach. I'm thinking that too. I am on the hot seat. Yeah. And uh, I, he, what, it, where, show me where he's done well as a head coach. Show, show it to me. I, I'm here for it. You know, I think he looked good. It, the team looked good until the last couple of weeks last year and everybody just dumped it all on Carson's shoulders and no doubt about it. Carson played terrible football, but, and, and I see he's playing the same brand of football in Washington. So Carson Wentz certainly was to, a lot to blame, but what has Frank Reich, how has he gotten the most out of his team? as a, as a head coach, I think he's a great offensive coordinator. And like you said, maybe he doesn't have the pieces in place, but he's the head coach. He, he gets the pieces, you know, he can go to the GM and say, here, here's what we need. Here's what we want. Here's because Jim Irsay wants to win. Let, let I me mean, Jim Irsay. I don't think is going to be a guy who's going to say, well, we can't really avoid this guy. You know, I, I think he's going to get the guys that Frank Reich wants to get. But when you're looking at what's going on with Matt Ryan and with, with Carson Wentz last year and the collapse and the slow start that Indianapolis is getting off to in a very winnable division, I, I I don't I don't see what Frank Reich has done that really makes him a great head coach. There's two things that are consistent with the Indianapolis Colts: slow starts and different quarterbacks. It, it, yeah. It's like when you host a radio show. How can you get high ratings on a radio show if you're switching <laughs> the host every single year? Very true, very true. And you need some consistency, and I think that's one of the things Ron Rivera has talked about with the Commanders when asked why why he can't successfully rebuild this team. They have not been able to land themselves a franchise quarterback. They've tried, you know, they thought Dwayne Haskins was going to be that guy. They thought RG three was going to be that guy. They thought Kirk cousins was going to be that guy. And you can look back at, you know, moving on from Kirk cousins as a fatal flaw, as a fatal blow for, for this team's prospects over the last few years, because I'm not the biggest Kirk cousins fan in the world, but you look in Minnesota, that is a functional offense. You know, they've got a good offense. He can throw the football. He is certainly light years better than anything they have right now. And he's a guy they drafted. 
He was a he was a Washington draft pick. He he played a bunch after RG three left. I mean, he was here for a few years and was very very good. So, uh, they've made some mistakes at the quarterback position. And if you if your owner is bad, your GM is bad, which it was for a long time under Bruce Allen, and your quarterback is bad, you are not winning in the NFL. And that's been Washington's horrible trifecta. The Giants seem to figure out there is we don't know if they got back yet, but. They definitely got the GM in Joe Shen, Shen, and they got the head coach. They definitely got the head coach in Brian Dable. It, it's amazing what happens when you get those two things right. Because this team, they're not a 5-1 football team, but they got Week Martindale. They got Mike Kafka. They got Brian Dable. They got Joe Shen. The Giants are on the uptick. They are, and I said this at the beginning of the season, that you bring in the Buffalo Brain Trust, uh, guys who were a an integral part in – revitalizing Josh Allen's career, uh, getting that franchise up and running as a powerhouse in the NFL. That made me nervous because you figure these guys have a recipe and they kind of know what they're doing. And I think it was important that both the GM and head coach came over together, right? I mean, you, you have these guys who are in lockstep from day one. You don't have a GM who's coming in with a coach who he's got under contract for another two years. And you don't have a uh, a head coach coming in with a GM who's been there for three, you know, for four or five years with two different head coaches before him. So you have these two guys coming in at the same time. They're hitting the ground running at the same time. They can both align their plans together, and it's been seamless. They've gotten Daniel Jones to stop turning the ball over. Saqu- they put Saquon Barkley in a in a time machine and brought back, you know, <laughs> 2018 Saquon Barkley. I mean, th- th- he's looking phenomenal, and the defense is playing pretty good football. Now, the Giants are not a juggernaut. Their offense has not been hugely productive outside of Saquon Barkley. Daniel Jones is not throwing the ball a ton. They lack some some skill positions, talent there. But that is a that is a gritty team. It's a grinding team, and they're playing pretty well. They're going to be a tough opponent for the Eagles here down the stretch, especially, you know, I think that last game of the season probably won't mean anything for either team. So you, you'll probably only get one game that really matters against the Giants here. It's, it's in New York in a, in a few weeks. But um, I'm I'm a little nervous about the Giants. I don't think they're ahead of Dallas right now, but that is a that's a good football team. What is your short-term outlook for them? Me- meaning they're 5-1 and one now. How, do you, how many wins do you think this team can end up getting? I don't have their schedule in front of me, but I, I feel like everybody in the NFC East has a weaker schedule. Uh, I think, um, I think, I think that the Eagles will beat them in uh, in a few weeks, but that's kind of a toss up game to me because it's, it's tough to go into New York and, and win. Um, I think they'll probably take a Cowboys game. I think they'll probably sweep the, the commanders. And, and then after that, you, at their their schedule is is pretty light. They've beaten the teams on their schedule they they need to beat. So, I think this could be a ten win team. You know, I mean, this is certainly a team that can go ten and seven without a doubt. I think they're a playoff team in this NFC, this very weak NFC where you've got the Buccaneers with Tom Brady dealing with marriage issues that are clearly affecting him on the field. Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers who's already turning on his head coach because they don't have a, he doesn't have anybody to throw the ball to. Uh, the 49ers who have big question marks at at quarterback and and just lost. Who did they lose to the uh, last week? It was the, um, uh, the Falcons. The, the Falcons. Yeah. I mean, you've got these teams and, and let's look at the Rams. The Rams won last week, but that offensive line can't block anybody. So this, this whole conference is wide open. It's a perfect opportunity for a, an up and coming team like the giants who are disciplined, who are well coached to come in and grab a wild card spot for sure. Yeah. Okay. So this is a giant schedule. So, uh, they got Jacksonville this week. Tough game, but tough game. Yeah. Then they go to Seattle, tough game. Yeah, bye week. Then ready for this: Houston, Detroit at home, Dallas Thanksgiving, Washington, Philly, Washington, Minnesota, Indianapolis, Philadelphia. Yeah, I think there's I think there's a total of ten wins in there. I mean, they're already uh, five and one, right? They need five more wins the rest of the way to get to get to ten and. There, there are easily five wins in there. I think for the New York Giants, so I think I think ten wins is where they're going to land. Yeah, and I honestly and even, and, and even that would be a little disappointing, right? That means they're going yeah, five right. and seven in their last twelve. So, uh, you know, that's kind of. I mean, you could even say eleven wins if you think they go five hundred over that stretch. It's crazy too. They played one game against the NFC East and they lost it. Now, granted, they played the Cowboys, but yeah. they're five and zero outside the the, 
the division, I think it's one of the reasons why the division is as good as it is this year. I harp on the AFC South and the NFC North. I, if you want to call me an NFC North hater, go ahead. I think that division sucks. Yeah, I picked the Vikings at the beginning of the year just because I didn't I didn't see. We've seen Green Bay when Aaron Rodgers doesn't have enough talent around him. We've seen him turn on everyone and have terrible seasons. This is not this. We've seen this from Aaron Rodgers before and losing Devontae Adams just seemed like it was going to be a crusher right from the start. And you have uh, I thought I did think the Lions would be better than they are. Uh, the offense certainly looked like it was going to help them to win a bunch more games this year. And they've just kind of been at their defense has really killed them. Um, you know, I, and the bears are just the bears. The bears are terrible, but I, I really did think that the lions would be better. I'm not surprised by the Packers falling off and uh, yeah. And, and the Vikings are good. So, but they're not great. And you've got Kirk cousins. I just talked about Kirk cousins again, you can win with him, but he's not a championship caliber quarterback. Like he's not the guy. Um, I'd be very, you know, he's, there's a reason he's never going on a playoff run before. So you're right. It's a weak division and the AFC South is a weak division. All the teams in this, in the NFC East, the, the giants, Cowboys and Eagles are all going to win more than 10 games. And, you know, in, in all their cases, maybe more than maybe 11 or more. Let's right. Let, let's have some fun here. The five best teams in the NFL go Eagles, Vikings, Cowboys, Giants, and then, so you're going to NFC first before we do the, the entire league. Oh, you're talking about oh all of football, all of football. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah all of football. Because there you. aren't that many good teams. Yeah, no. All right, I'll say the Bills. I think the Bills are still the best team in the NFL. I think the Eagles are number two. The Chiefs are number three. I think I've got, I think I've got the Vikings at four. Okay. And I think I got to put the Cowboys at five. And then NFC. Who who would be the NFC team? I think the fifth best NFC team, I would probably still give it to the Bucs. I think they have the fewest weaknesses out of the rest of those other teams. But, you know, Tom Brady's got to get his off-field stuff together because it's it's affecting his on-field stuff. It, the Bucs are such a weird team. They don't run the ball well. So Brady's got to carry them, and he's not doing that. And their defense, I, I don't know. Like, I love top bowls, but some people are just meant to be coordinators. It feels like yeah. he's one of those guys. Well, yeah, I mean, there you're seeing a drop off from Bruce Arians last year, but I really do think it's it's difficult to to know what what Bowles has to work with with Tom Brady this year, and that that team revolves around Tom Brady. I mean, Tom Brady's the head coach. Yeah, he is. Be, you know, it, with Todd Bowles there, Tom Brady's the head coach, and Tom Brady's yelling too busy yelling at his offensive line and dealing with marital problems in the media. So I I think I think it's I think you're right. Todd Bowles might just be a great defensive coordinator and not necessarily a great head coach, but, um, and you know, when Tom Brady leaves, which is feels like his last year, um, I don't know what they do for, for quarterback. This is kind of their last hurrah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I think Tampa Bay is the fifth best team in the conference by default right now. Um, and I, I do think there's a team from, from underneath, you know, might be two and four right now that can go on a run. I, again, I don't know who that, who that could be. I still think the lions, if they can get their defense straightened out, have the offensive talent, to go on a run, but uh, you know, it's, it's a wide open NFC. Anything can happen. Before I let you go here, I, since you brought Tom Brady, I'm always that guy that if I'm an offensive lineman and Tom Brady's yelling in my face on game day, publicly shaming me, I'm that guy who goes, oh, hold on a second. Were you just at a wedding? Yeah. Like we're grinding, we're studying film here and you're doing whatever it is. Your happy endings with Robert Kraft. So, yeah. Like, what was your take on that on that whole thing? No, he's a baby. He's a baby. Um, he's selfish. I think we've we've kind of always known that. I think that's true of a, a lot of the great superstars in in all sports. That's kind of how they are. <clears> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I yeah, it, it was out of line. Um, you don't do that. That's not how you treat other grown men, especially grown men who are paid to protect you. He what? And it's galling because he just he doesn't have any self awareness. You know, he wasn't there all week or he wasn't there the couple days before the, the the game. He he didn't participate in training camp at all because he's dealing with stuff at home. Like, dude, if you've got home stuff going on, just take care of it. You know, take a leave. But he, what he's doing is lashing out, you know, and, and I think what he's got to do. And this is kind of galling that a 40 whatever year old man doesn't know this already is, you know, to take, you know, be a grown up about it. You know, this is as much on you as it is on them. When you're not practicing together, it's difficult to play well. 
So yeah, it was childish. It was babyish. And that's kind of been Tom Brady's MO his whole career. Yeah. And now he's complaining about roughing the pass penalties all the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. Just, just go away, go away. <laughs> it, it, it might be it after this year. I, I, I had that funny feeling when he took the 11 day hiatus or whatever, whatever he did, which is out. Yeah. I'm just like, you know what? I think this is it. Probably should have come back this year. That's why when you try to defy father time as long as you can. Yeah. But once again, John, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's always a fun conversation talking to NFC East. And um, so do you got anything coming up for Bleeding Green Nation this weekend? You know, we're actually taking, we, along with the Eagles, are going to take a bye week for, for Eye on the Enemy this week. So uh, we're going to rest. As you can tell, the pipes are, and I, you know, hate, referring to my voice as the pipes because I don't have any really, but uh, I, my, my voice is pretty well shredded. We're doing a lot of podcasts uh, for the good fight podcast feed after every Phillies game. Uh, the hit and season podcasts are basically like coming every night right now. So that's, uh, and we're going to take a, we're going to downshift on, on eye on the enemy for a week and we'll gear it back up next week um, uh, for, uh, you know, who the Eagles, the Eagles are playing next week. No, it's totally it's Pittsburgh. Thank you. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk to somebody from the, uh, from the Steelers SB nation site and, uh, and preview that game next week. Yes. Sounds great, John. Uh, well, hopefully next time you do eye on the enemy, you're still doing hit and season podcasts and the Phillies are in the world series. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let's both hope there. Uh, John, Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on my friend. Always a pleasure, Jeff. Thanks, man. <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, John Stolz, everybody. Uh, again, love having him on. Uh, we always talk NFC East. It, it feels like, Every time I talk to John, it's it's either the NFC East or the Phillies. Um, you know, it, we're always talking Phillies. We're always you know panicking over the Phillies. Yesterday I wasn't, even though they did blow the four nothing lead. But this what it is they got to split in San Diego. It, it it is the Phillies weekend. I'll be at the Sixers home opener tonight. Season ticket or I, I gotta be there. Uh, you know, got, got gotta see the boys. So gonna be a lot of fun. Um, and again, I hope you guys. Watch some NFC East football this week during the Eagles bye week. I mean, I, I got to do it every week, but, you know, get a glimpse here of what the Giants are doing, how they're not beating themselves, you know, because you, you see the red zone highlights. It doesn't do it justice. Um, you know, see how they play the Jaguars team that they've been kind of struggling over the last couple of weeks. But again, the Giants are, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, they're a much better team then A, the record indicates, and B, how they've been playing the last three weeks. So that'll be an interesting game. Dallas plays Detroit. I'm curious to see how that offense does against the defense that just basically lets anybody score. I mean, Detroit should be a lot better than what they are because their offense is really good, but their defense can't stop a lick. It's the worst defense in the NFL. Again, that game will be interesting. Uh, you know, Washington, they got Taylor Heineke starting now. That's going to be an interesting game too Sunday. Again, the NFC East to me, it's a fascinating division. And Eagles could do a lot by not doing anything because it is the bye week. I mean, they do have a game lead on the Giants, but the Giants lose Sunday. All of a sudden, they have a two-game lead. They already got a two-game lead in hand on the Cowboys with the tiebreaker. So, that, again, it's it's going to be an interesting weekend for sure in the NFC East. I just want to go over the NFL schedule real quick before we uh, go on. You know, before we part ways here. So, yeah, let's look at it. I, Saints Cardinals tonight. That's right. Oh, man. We got a crappy Thursday night football game again. I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, I'm not looking forward to James Winston or Andy Dalton. Uh, now, Eagles fans will probably like this Saints game because right now the Eagles have the number five NFL pick in the draft. Thank, thank you, New Orleans. Um, you know, thank you, Mickey Loomis, for how, allowing Howie Roseman to fleece you twice in five months. Uh, the Cardinals are terrible. Um, we all know that. Uh, Washington, they got Green Bay this weekend. Yeah, look for that. Uh, if you're looking around the league, Colts-Titans is going to be a very intriguing game. That'll, that'll be for first place in the NFC South, I mean, in the AFC South. That'll be intriguing. Um, Seahawks-Chargers, I think, should be a fun game to watch. Same as Steelers. Dolphins are honoring the 72 Dolphins team on Sunday Night Football. Uh, the primetime games are not good, guys. Uh, Saints-Cardinals. Uh, Bears Patriots on Monday night and not looking forward to that. It's not that great of a week seven slate. Uh, Browns Ravens should be a good game though on Sunday in Baltimore. Uh, might head there. I we'll, we'll see. Um, it's gonna be a long weekend for me to begin with. Um, but yeah, guys, it you know what? It's gonna be an interesting week in football just because the Eagles are off and we're curious to see how long the Eagles go before they actually lose a football game. And Tone is telling me to wrap it up here. Yeah, I'm losing track of time. I'm rambling on. But 
Grocery 65 is coming up next with Jerry McDonald, John McMullen. Once again, I appreciate John Stolas. I appreciate Tony Shields coming on with me at the top of the show. This is Good Morning NFC East. My name is Jeff Kerr. Hope you guys catch my work on CBSSports.com and have a good day. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit. 